I'm here with Maria Pearman, who is based in Portland, Oregon. And Maria provides accounting expertise and a deep operational knowledge uh, to the brewing industry and teaches finance and accounting for the craft brewer. Maria, welcome to Unleash Software. Thank you. So please tell us a bit about yourself and how you became involved in breweries and uh, what you enjoy working with them. Um, so I became involved with, a, a, I found a focus in uh, breweries because I was a CPA and just a standard public accounting firm in Portland. And uh, because Portland has a lot, a lot of breweries, then I was doing tax returns for breweries. And I found that, um, you know, the, the breweries would spend more money getting their books clean at the end of the year in preparation for the return than they would spend on the return itself. So that showed me there was an opening in the market for, um, you know, a service where these companies could have access to a higher level skill set, but on, uh, you know, not a full-time basis. Maybe they just needed to talk to someone once a quarter, for example. So I took that idea and uh, started my own company and that idea caught on. And then we started to provide uh, tax returns and bookkeeping and other, you know, consultative services, but with a niche focus. And, um, and so it grew, it was popular. And I, I think it was popular because we really took the time to understand the operations behind the accounting. Um, so uh, ran that for seven years and then I transitioned that practice uh, back into the original firm where it started my career. And uh, now we're taking that same approach and services and able to reach a broader audience. So right now uh, we have clients, you know, across the United States and in a couple countries as well, and uh, really focus on serving the beer industry at a very, you know, deep expert level. That sounds great. Um, and in terms of the different markets that, that you have had experience in and with the different brewery clients, what are some of the similarities and differences that you see? And I suppose particularly looking across the US and um, from what you can see in Australia and New Zealand as well. Uh, I think the biggest similarity is, the, uh, is, is a similar pattern of industry life, life cycle. You know, if you were to graph this out on a graph, you would see sort of a, a slow uptake and then a, a big curve that swings upward through um, really rapid growth of the industry. And this is, this is for craft beer. And then it kind of tops out and levels out, slow decline, and then a more rapid decline until that industry's life cycle is complete. So right now in the U.S., um, that we're still in the growth phase, but we're nearing the end of the growth phase. And I see the same thing playing out in other parts of the world, including Australia and New Zealand. And uh, it just is happening on a shorter time frame. So where we may have experienced this over you know, 10 or 15 years overall, I think that other uh, markets that are in the developing stage now and are a little earlier than we are will experience it maybe in seven or 10 years instead of 10 to 15. So it's the same similar trend. Um, I also see that there's a lot of consolidation going on and larger companies buying smaller ones and also a pivot to a brew pub model. A lot of breweries are, because of this consolidation, they are pivoting towards brew pubs because in general, the margins that you get in brew pubs are much better than through a wholesale sale. 
and uh, the net income is also usually better. So brewers are having to kind of change their expectation of, or, or not the expectation per se, but the definition of success. So I think, you know, maybe five years ago, uh, a lot of people thought that they could just be a really broad-based national brand that is consumed all across the country. But these days, they're seeing the barriers to that because of the competitive landscape increasingly more crowded. So they're focusing on playing where they can win. And for a lot of us, that means serving in your backyard and really gaining a loyal market share just right in your hyper-local area. And so with that focus, uh, what are some of the key points um, that, of those that are becoming successful? What, what do they have to do to become successful in that local environment? Um, or those that are choosing to still go national, what are some of the key um, points that they need to follow? I think because the emerging markets are, are sort of maturing at a, a faster pace, that it's really important to start thinking about this and treating it like a business right from the beginning. And in the U.S., there was a longer span of growth and you really, there was less pressure to treat it like a business because the momentum of the industry would just carry you along. And some of these areas, um, you know, where you could have improved operations just went by the wayside because things were moving so fast that A, uh, brewery owners didn't have time to maybe do it the best that they could, and B, uh, you just didn't see the holes in the boat because there was enough margin to keep everyone moving along at, at a, you know, a profitable level. But as things have gotten more competitive, you really have to hone in on getting your business practices correct. So I think one of the big points around that is building a team around you as early as possible who can look after the business. And you know, a lot of folks come into brewing because they have a love of the craft and they have an artistic mentality and or they come into it thinking that they have to bootstrap everything. And so the founder will end up doing 10 or 12 jobs at once. And what you end up with is a situation where none of those jobs are being done well. And uh, so it's really a mediocre process, product, and business. So, you know, if you can really build a team around you who can take some of those uh, areas of responsibility, the founder should be, in my opinion, still very well connected to the creative direction of the product as well as the creative direction of the marketing because that's so um, key to the, the heart and soul of the company. So influencing those areas, but if it comes to HR or IT or accounting, those are functions that you don't necessarily have to be involved with as an owner. So build that team around you uh, early. The second point is to invest in good data. So if you can invest in um, you know, the type of software or process that allows you to analyze your performance and answer the questions that you need to answer to move forward in the correct way, that is hugely important. So not only is it having access to that data, but you need to commit to clean data, uh, reviewing it in a timely manner. Ideally, businesses should be looking at their performance on a monthly basis about five to 10 days after the month closes and you know, reviewing what actually happened to what they budgeted and then understanding why there are variances and using that knowledge to make business decisions so that they can continue to improve. 
And along those lines, once you uh, get your final numbers for a month, I am a big advocate of rolling forecasts. So you take your actual numbers from one month's performance and you use that to influence how you'll forecast for a, for a year later. And it is this just evolving annual monthly forecast that um, instead of having a static budget that you set in October and then you stick it in a drawer and don't look at it again, this uh, rolling forecast becomes a living document and it really uh, influences behavior changes in businesses so that you can uh, constantly evolve and constantly tweak on the business and make it make it better. Great. And what other, I suppose, key measures um, do you think um, breweries need to have in place for um, operational excellence? Um, you mentioned, obviously, uh, tracking and making sure that you're uh, providing that rolling forecast. Um, what else can they do to, to, I suppose, achieve operational excellence? Keeping your eye on key performance metrics is really important. Uh, and some of those that I believe are, are crucial are gross margin by revenue center. So if you operate different types of businesses under the same roof, for example, if you have a, a tasting room or a brew pub and a production facility, make sure that they are separated because if you have a brew pub, you're going to expect uh, revenues that revenues and financial metrics that are really akin to a restaurant. If you're measuring the performance of your production facility, it's going to be a different set of you know normal net income and normal margin. So you need to make sure that you're measuring against what's common for that industry uh, type of center. Also, measuring the margin by skew. So your margin by skew is a is a way of measuring how much money you're making on every different type of product that you sell. And business owners should adopt the philosophy of having margin attached to everything that you sell. So that's important to track, as well as EBITDA, which is earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And that's a common metric that's used to measure the value of business by lots of investors. And it kind of levels the playing ground um, for businesses. So even if you're not considering selling your company and it's perhaps just you as an individual owner who's tracking the performance, you should still have an eye to the value of the company and measuring that on a consistent basis. There's also working capital, which uh, is a measure of the liquidity of the company. So this is tightly related to available cash and current assets and your ability to take care of your obligations as they come due and it um, measures liquidity and your, um, the health of your company. It's related to your balance sheet items. And then the fifth point which I would encourage people to track is their inventory turnover. So inventory turnover measures how quickly you're moving through inventory and a higher number is better than a lower number. If you think about having a large amount of inventory on the floor of your warehouse, that really is cash that's tied up there that could be making a better return for you if it were deployed in other ways. So keeping the inventory uh, you know, on the floor for as short a time as possible is really key to a healthy company. Excellent. And uh, speaking of um, stock and, and products, What's your take on uh, focusing on a core range, uh, which you know is going to do well, versus a number of uh, new varieties and constant innovation that we see a lot of the craft breweries focusing on? 
have you seen both strategies work or um, one work better than another? Yeah, a lot of times it depends on the business model at hand. Um, if you have a business model that's highly focused on wholesale and reaching the consumer through off-license accounts, so your grocery stores, etc., uh, it's really important to have flagships and things that are always in the market because that's what customers will come to recognize. Um, it provides consistency in their experience and also for the retailer, it makes it easier to manage. It's easier to manage always having the same type of product in stock. Uh, however, if you are more of a brew pub model, then variety is definitely the spice of life and that's what keeps people interested in coming back. And um, you know the, the consumer demand is getting ever more fickle over the years uh, as craft gets further into the maturity of its life cycle. People are expecting much more from those brewers, and they you know they want a new flavor or style um, on just an astounding frequency. <laughs> it's very hard to keep up with that. So, um, and it's also hard to execute in the marketplace on a wholesale level. But if you have a brew pub. It's really easy to do short turn turns, limited offerings, and a lot of people will use social media to um, blow that up and to, to create hype around it, and they'll sell out really quickly, and they use that social to uh, create demand for a short supply product. So, and therefore they can charge more for the product as well. So I think it really depends on what the business model is. Um, most breweries with whom I work have a mix of both. They'll have sort of the common uh, practice in, in my area is have maybe three or four flagships that are available all year. And then you've got a series of seasonals that support that. And then there's uh, specialty beers that are kind of sprinkled in throughout the year. Um, so that's the, that's the architecture in a nutshell, but it really should be uh, honed in on your particular business. Great. Um, and I imagine for some of the shorter production um, runs or the specialty runs, it can be quite challenging for brewers to manage. Mm -hmm. And in the actual production process or the, the, the purchasing and sort of production tracking, what are some key things that they need to make sure they get right? Uh, it does make it more difficult to manage the production when you have these specialty one-off beers. Um, if you have a good you know, technology system underneath you, if, if the software that you're using is robust enough, it becomes fairly simple because most of these uh, specialty beers are tweaks on other types of recipes. So within your, within your software, you can have a library of recipes and most software will allow you to easily copy a recipe and then edit it. So if I have an IPA and I have an idea of ingredients that I wanna to add to that IPA to make it a specialty, I can simply go to my software, copy that, make the edits that I want, and it's fairly easy to manage. However, if you're a brewery that is using spreadsheets, I mean, it's in theory, it's the same type of practice, but it gets a little more cumbersome. Um, another thing about the short runs is that because they're only in the, in, the, uh, in the marketplace for a very short time period, you really don't have the runway to tweak your recipe and make it more margin rich. So for example, if you've got this great idea for a beer that's gonna use you know, coconut and mango or something like that, uh, and you go out and make it, and then you, if you don't have the, the proper planning in place beforehand, 
you may not realize that it's not making you very much money and then when you hit the market if it's a limited release it may only be available for a month or so and then you've made it you sold it and you really didn't make much money on it so was it worth it and and perhaps it was for the promo value attached to it but um, it's kind of hard to manage the business of it when it's so uh, one shot in nature great um, and you mentioned the brew pub model earlier um, I suppose this is a bit of a change for a lot of uh, breweries that are sort of become a manufacturer um, and sort of got used to the production side and suddenly they're asked to if they're looking at a brew pub to run a restaurant or become more of a retailer um, I, I suppose what how does that um, that balance uh, work in terms of uh, making sure they can run both successfully in my experience the brewers who have gone on to open brew pubs uh, and, and a brew pub being a full restaurant experience um, it's a rougher it's a rougher experience it's more difficult than uh, a brewer who will open a tasting room because a tasting room is is essentially a bar and you serve your own beer and, and maybe a few other producers as well but it's a simpler um, business model to execute. And restaurants really take a, a unique know-how. You know, you really have to know how to run that well because you have the back of house responsibilities and the front of house responsibilities and you always have to have a certain amount of people who are at the restaurant and can execute all the items on the menu should someone walk in and want, you know, whatever it is that's on the menu. So, you know, carefully curating what you're going to offer and how you're going to manage the labor around that. It is a whole other endeavor. Um, and the way that restaurants measure their profitability, uh, you know, they're really looking at week to week performance as opposed to month to month performance. So long story short, if you're going to do a brew pub, uh, you, I really recommend that you have someone on staff who has done it before, who can be a good general manager. I think a tasting room is a much more amenable way to get into a retail environment. I would also encourage uh, breweries who have a retail environment to really push the uh, merchandising on their to-go beer. Um, this is something that's becoming increasingly more common in the U.S. is selling beer to go out of your tap room and the margin on it is fantastic so if you can you know position it and merchandise it in a really prominent way in your facility then you know that might I don't know you double your the sales out of your tasting room it's not uncommon for that to happen um, and and one other business model that that helps with this um, ease of having food in the equation is the food truck model. So a lot of people will set up a tasting room and then they'll partner with a food truck that sits outside and uh, allow, you know, so, some sort of um, uh, beneficial relationship where, you know, the patrons of the tap room can get their food from the food truck and bring it in. And that's really nice because then you don't have to worry about the management of the food side thing. It allows you to keep your costs pretty low in terms of overhead. Uh, and it's just a real nice way to ease into food. Food is important because it does keep patrons sticking around for longer, so they're going to consume more beers. Uh, so it's important to have it available, but you just, I would advise you to know what you're doing before you <laughs> open a full restaurant. Yeah, wise words. Well, thanks very much for those great insights. Um, some very good information for you know, small 
to medium-sized breweries and, and those that really want to invest to grow. Yeah. So thanks very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.